Uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. All right, awesome. It is a snowy day here in Washington, D.C., and I am joined by the one and only Ginny Hill. Now, I met Ginny at uh, Hill Country Barbecue for live band karaoke and weaseled my way on stage to do a rendition of Rapper's Delight. And who knew that such a friendship would blossom <laughs> from from jamming on who stage? Knew? Who, who knew? knew? <laughs> <laughs> who knew? So, Jenny, thanks for uh, for trucking it down to Southwest in the snow in the Arctic tundra. <laughs> no problem. I'm really surprised that DC hasn't shut down today. Uh, the first snow of the season. So good for us. <laughs> Yay! Uh, so we're awake. We I have my hot cocoa. Jenny uh, has her coffee with non dairy creamer. Mm, yeah. So what, is this a new thing with the no milk? A little bit of a new thing. Um, not doctor's orders, but doctor's advice. Um, um, I'm going gluten light and dairy light. Kind okay. of a new, yeah. And I feel great, so awesome. can't complain. Awesome. So <laughs> the powdery substitute milk is A-OK for Ginny. Yeah, you know, for now. For now. <laughs> there was no soy milk, so maybe you guys will get on that. We're not We're not that fancy. Actually, we used to have a very fancy-schmancy um, espresso cappuccino latte maker, and that lasted for all of two months once my building realized how expensive it was. Yeah, there's certain amenities we can provide, certain amenities we can't provide. So that makes sense. Yeah, we were definitely like pinkies out yep. up in here, and then they took it away, and you would have thought that they like put us in prison. Like They're like, you know, this is expensive, guys. We're like, who do you think we are? We deserve this. And once you provide something like that, you can't, you can't really take it away because that's when you're going to get the complaints. Yeah, and, and then they gave us the Keurig, and they gave us some like industrial Soviet, Soviet like tank size coffee. So there was a lot of revolting that happened. We have eased into the Keurig as long as we have the, the pods that are fully stocked, then all is well. But I there do have go. a coffee maker upstairs. Because uh, the caffeine dream is real. Yeah. <laughs> for is. me too. For me too. Yes. So we are talking about spitting some fire. And Ginny is a singer extraordinaire. So I met her as she was hosting karaoke. But Ginny is a powerhouse in two projects now. Yeah. Just started a new side project um, to write more songs and do some acoustic shows. Be a little more agile, if you will, than my rock band, which is The Perfectionists. Awesome. So what's the style of the new project Oh, man, it's kind of hard to describe. My voice tends to have a little bit of a country twang to it, but I love blues music, so it's kind of like a country blues vibe. Um, upbeat, um, gritty, uh, and fun. Upbeat, upbeat, gritty, and fun. Yeah. Okay. So you're writing a lot of the songs, or are you Yeah, I'm co-writing writing with um, my guitarist, Kevin Brady, um, and he and I actually work together, which is just kind of funny because he was in my job interview when I interviewed at the nonprofit I work for, and... Um, they, of course, ask an obligatory non-work question. They're like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I'm in a band. And he just like latched That's onto that. Amazing. And then now we've been co-workers for almost three years. Um, and just about six months ago, I asked him and kind of pitched him this idea to start up an acoustic act um, where we can play like farmer's markets and chill bars and um, write songs and do music festivals and stuff like that. Um, and it's much easier to schedule gigs with just two people yeah. rather than five. Uh, so it's been nice uh, to augment what I'm doing with the band. That's fantastic. Do you find that you're jamming out around the water cooler now? Actually, yeah, we get asked to play. <laughs> like, we have a work holiday party um, this month. We got asked to play that. Um, and there's, like, office retreats and things like that. So they like they like to ping us to play those events. And we do sometimes, but it, it just depends. But, yeah, it's kind of fun to um, be able to practice over your lunch break, too. Very cool. So you've got a 9-to-5 job. 
Yeah, yeah. And balancing that with music. I think um, I'm actually at a point where I'm balancing it pretty well. Mm-hmm. To start off, it was kind of hard. But um, now I'm at a point where I pretty much have a predictable schedule um, and I can kind of foresee what's happening. The band is in a good rhythm. Um, the acoustic act has some solid uh, momentum. Um, and I just try to keep my day job under control <laughs> so I can leave by, you know, 530 or whatever to, to make it to other commitments. That's awesome. Yeah. So... At what point were you doing the nine to five thing and you're like, I need to go be a rock star on the side? Interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so it actually happened when I turned 30. Um, and I won't mention how many years ago that was. Just kidding. It was five years ago. But I turned 30 and I had this kind of epiphany, if you will. I know that maybe sounds dramatic, but it really was because it actually happened at that same live band karaoke no. that you just mentioned. Um, and... I had this party for my 30th birthday at Live Band Karaoke because I was kind of a regular there. I loved going there. So I'm like, what better way to celebrate? So I brought a bunch of friends and I sang a song I had never sang before. And I sang House of the Rising Sun. I got a standing ovation. And I think I had this weird like out of body experience. And it was one of the first times I thought, I think I'm good enough to do this. I think I can do this. I'm going to try this. That's awesome. And for like, I spent a lot of my 20s not believing in myself. I spent a lot of my 20s thinking music was over. Um, I mean, other than the occasional karaoke night, I basically put music in my past, um, which is really unfortunate. I think I wasted like six to eight years of, I could have been singing. I could have been doing something. But I got stuck in this kind of all or nothing mindset. Like if I'm not winning a Grammy, then I can't do music. If I'm not this amazing solo artist, I can't do music. But thanks to that experience, uh, having this awesome band behind me on my 30th birthday, um, I was just like, I'm going to try this. What's the worst that could happen? If I fail, I fail. But if I try it, love it, and it works, well, then great. You know, or what if it works for a year and then it stops? You know, I just didn't care anymore. I was, I kind of stopped being afraid of failing. Um, And that was just like this revelation. And I think it's something to do with turning 32 when uh, people hit that milestone a lot of people are afraid of it they're like oh god I'm old now yes you're getting older but there's so many benefits to that I found that I just uh kind of let go of some of my people pleasing tendencies I was less afraid of failure I was just more myself and so that's really where the band came from I started the perfectionist with um my friend Rob Fallon um shortly after that birthday and we were like let's do this so yay 30. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing how a number can change your perspective. And, and it really is like, what do you have to lose? Yeah, and the letting go of the people pleasing is an important aspect too. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about what do other people think of us. Am I making a good impression? Um, is this what other people expect me to do? Yeah. Um, or as I like to say, we should on ourselves. The should monster. Yeah, yeah. Um, too many shoulds in our lives. Yeah. Um, and so just letting go of that and, and not thinking, oh, I should be focused on my career. I should, um, you know, be more mature or something like this. All these things that we kind of tell ourselves. And it was an opportunity to let some of that go and be like, you know what actually I should do? Something that makes me happy. Damn, something I feel passionate about. Um, and so I put time and energy into that, put hard work into it. And people ask me, they're like, how do you maintain your energy? And I'm like, this stuff energizes me. That's all I can really say. Um, so I have the energy to do it because it energizes me. Yeah. So you, so people have this idea of like, you know, performer output of like, go, go, go. But when it feeds your soul, 
it actually becomes like a renewable resource. So you're giving energy out, but it's also energizing you in. Yeah, absolutely. You always have to be mindful of like your time management and, you know, not wearing yourself down, but noticing what you get jazzed up about and maybe do a little bit more of that, less of the stuff that doesn't energize you. Um, and, and that's kind of a good rule of thumb, I think. Absolutely. It's so funny that you mentioned jazzed up. I did a talk last <laughs> Saturday, and I swear I said jazzed up no less than 10 times. I'm like, this is what really jazzes me up, guys. Never said it before. New <laughs> phrase. New phrase. This is 2018. It's the year of jazzed up. So what jazz? We're getting jazzed up this year. I know, but it's like slow, easy jazz. So what jazz I don't know where that up? came from from me either. There's <laughs> got to be a mind ever. meld because I don't ever say that either. I know. I, I'm like, I was hanging out with like some, some 50 year olds, like this is the easy jazz station. What yeah. jazzes you up? And now it's like embedded in me. Which there is we hilarious. go. We're going to make it a thing. We're, we're so, I think we need shirts and we need to be jazzled it up. <laughs> Love it. That's great. <laughs> I can see the merchandise already. It's okay. fantastic. So what is your favorite song to sing? Well, that song I mentioned, House of the Rising Sun, has a special place in my heart. Um, and I do it the same way every time, which is different than the animals recorded it. Um, but I just love that song. And it, like I said, kind of was a catalyst. But um, if I had to pick a favorite song to sing, I couldn't. But I'll give you a couple. Um, Tear in My Heart by 21 Pilots, mm -hmm. because it has so many kind of ups and downs and electronic cool things happening with the guitar and with the drums. Um, and it's a passionate song. And then I also love The Funeral by Band of Horses. Kind of same reason. It has some ups and downs, different emotions going on. It's really, really gritty, um, especially at the end. And there's good harmonies. So um, those are two of the ones that come to mind. Very cool. So what would you say to someone who loves to sing but is so afraid to get on stage and try baby steps <laughs> um so starting with maybe a safe space right it could be where you just do like a little living room concert for your friends um or you perform at like you throw a party and just do a couple of songs acoustically it could be um renting a room with um at a karaoke bar so it's just a room with just your friends maybe your family or whatever Try it in a safe space, low stakes environment. Um, I also host an open mic night. Maybe you go to an open mic and just like do a song or two. Um, you don't have to go completely off the deep end, right? I think it's all about easing yourself in. Um, at this point, I'm doing four hour shows. We performed at O'Sullivan's from 9.30 to 1.30 a.m. And I never would have thought that my voice could do that. But it's only through building up endurance and stamina. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So practicing once a week, uh, doing these different jam sessions with friends, um, small performances here and there. You know, I went from a 45 minute set to a four hour set. And, you know, that's not something that's like I'm amazing. It's just endurance. I mean, how do you go from running a 5K to a marathon? Right. You just slowly increase your abilities, take small steps, break it down into different goals. And then eventually you kind of surprise yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that would be ideal if people were like, yes, I have the discipline and I, I can have that type of habit and behavior change. But what happens when you get knocked on your butt, when you don't get that crowd reaction, mm. when people aren't listening and paying attention and talking to their friends or maybe boo, what do you do? Oh my God. No. And actually that like hit a chord because the very first show that the perfectionist had was in April, 2014 and it bombed. Like it, how bad? 
like okay so i was already getting sick and i didn't already have the endurance at that point in terms in terms of vocal ability so i over practiced i think i overcompensated for how nervous i was Wait, we you're being a perfectionist yes perfectionist. <laughs> ding 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 um and then we had a practice right before the show and i actually sounded okay i was like okay i can do this I got up on stage and my voice completely failed me. I mean, we're talking like my, I could see it on my friends' faces, how bad we were doing. My friends were looking around at the bartenders to try to make me a hot toddy or something or get me some tea. Of course, we're at the Velvet Lounge. They don't have that there. Uh, They're not serving green tea. So uh, there was like nothing they could do for me. There was like no lifeline they can throw to me. It was mortifying I've actually never talked about this I'm surprised I'm bringing this up I like to pretend it didn't happen but to be honest it was kind of an important experience because after that show I could have quit Mm -hmm. and I could have said you know what I knew this wasn't gonna work (laughs) or something right I could have easily beat myself up and I did ruminate on it a lot and it made me sad and I felt embarrassed but it was one of those things where it's like I was sick cut myself a little a little slack Give myself some credit for trying. And there were a few songs that I thought were really good. Overall, the set was bad. (laughs) But I, you know, did my best. And then it's about picking up and trying again, right? One of my favorite sayings that I have posted on my fridge is falling down is part of life. Getting back up is living. Yeah, We all fall down. And it sounds cliche or whatever, but it's just one of those things where you have a choice, And so if you're not getting the reaction you want, don't give up or don't blame it on something. Figure out what's wrong. Take it as a lesson and then move forward. Yeah. It's so funny that you mentioned um, first performances and falling because that's exactly what I did. I don't know if I told you about this story. No. No. So right after I met you, four days later, Justin was doing the opening for the Midlands. And I'm there like enjoying my wine. I've got my bottle in front of me. I'm there with a friend. And then he calls me up on stage to do Rapper's Delight. And I'm like, oh, no, I guess I can do this. So I walk up and I and I rap and I'm like, yeah, I got this. Like, totally. And my friend is videotaping it. And he had all the lights set up. I'm not used to stage setup or any of that. And I finish and I go to step off stage and I clip the monitor. And I oh did, no. I did, I will call it the most graceful dismount on my butt ever. It was like a pirouette pike. And no one noticed in the band except for Brian, who was subbing in on the bass. And all of a sudden, I see a, a strong arm come down and just pl- pluck me up. <laughs> oh, that's and classic. cheering because everyone's like, give it up for Lauren. And then Justin's like, where'd she go? <laughs> and so I, I was mortified because I was like, oh, my God, that was my first time ever. I'm never going to do this again. And then I got two free drinks out of it. And people were like, that was awesome. And it turned into, like, really good video afterwards. But what I learned is like, okay, you literally did the worst case scenario. What are you going to do with it now? Well, and is your first time trying something ever perfect? Like we don't expect that (laughs) from a lot of things in life. I mean, the first time you try a sport or the first time you um, try a new activity, it's like, do you ever expect it to be perfect? Like the first bowling ball you throw is not a strike, you know? So why do we expect that of other talents? And so when you look at it that way, you just – Again, you make small goals, put yourself on a certain track, but realize that it's not going to go exactly how you planned. Um, and that's okay. You just adjust along the way. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, even though my band is named The Perfectionist, I actually feel like 
we we shouldn't expect perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things you can strive for. You can realize, uh, and you can define your own perfect. Um, but that but what it means for me is going to be different than what it means for you than what it means for someone else. So we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, not only that, but like if you if you are amazing at it the first time you do everything. You know, what are you working towards? It's like... Yeah, and you're not even human. You're not, and you're kind of <laughs> annoying, and people want to smack you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, That's like... perfect? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, the vulnerability of having flaws and mistakes um, is what people actually latch on to, and I've found that in, in live shows, because when we make mistakes or when things go wrong, it actually can be kind of a cool moment in the show. Yeah. Um, Rob's guitar, for example, has been known to break. Um, <laughs> like if he breaks a string or like the sound is going off, we make a joke about it and we fix it and we move on. Yeah. Um, or there's been times where we've been performing and a, um, an inebriated person has knocked into one of our oh speakers. <laughs> and <laughs> there was one time when, I mean, again, this could have been a disaster, but Aaron, our bassist, reached out, grabbed the speaker, pulled it back in, made a joke. He's like, yeah, guys, it's okay. It's not like these are expensive or anything. Yeah. And then we just resumed the song. It was like, it was so funny. And so stuff like that is not only memorable for the band, but kind of makes it fun for the audience. So the flaws are where the fun is, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's really what you do with it. It's like, are you going to be so serious that like you stop or like turn into a jerk or do you make it fun for everybody? Exactly. Um, I think that the audience actually likes it when you're, they can tell you're human up there. Otherwise, we would just play a Spotify playlist, right, if you wanted to hear perfect music. Uh, but that's the beauty of live music is it's flawed and weird and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was diving into your questionnaire because, you know, I, I go through a very extensive process before I bring my guests on. And you and I have more in common than I think we've realized. Yeah. But our divorces were major catalysts for us to break out of our norm. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So I um, or I I sometimes hesitate to use the D word. I don't know why. Well, you know, I made the mistake of saying I have my D card, which apparently means something very different. Yeah. Watch (laughs) out for the. (laughs) That's not going to be a phrase in 2018, folks. Well, I, I was new to the dating world and I was like, probably shouldn't use that phrase in my profile. No, that'll turn people off quick. Um, no, what I like to say is I used to be married. <laughs> That's what I say. But my mom told me, she's like, everyone deserves a starter marriage. <laughs> oh, I know. And, you know, I, I try to be careful. Like, I walk the line. Like, I, it is more of a norm these days. But you also don't want to normalize it. Like, right. nobody, yeah. nobody seeks out to get divorced. Exactly. And actually, um, I have a friend who I thought said it best because she she sent out, like, Christmas newsletters all the time with her and her husband. And then... She actually went through a divorce as well, and um, in her newsletter, she was, like, super honest. It was, like, her first solo Christmas newsletter and her Christmas card, and she said, you know, divorce is something that happens to other people until it happens to you, mm-hmm. and I was like, like, that really just blew my mind, like, because I think anyone who's been through it can relate to that, right? It's like, maybe for a while you were like, oh, that'll never happen to me, and you, at least for me, I was kind of high and mighty, like, yeah. oh, look at me, I'm getting married at 27, I'm buying a house, yep. I've, I've got this kind of great life. Little did I know I was doing all those things because I should do them, yep, right? They absolutely. were the expectation, and they were kind of the societal norm, mm-hmm. and I was making a lot of decisions that I wasn't in touch with myself and what would make me happy and I think getting married was one of those decisions Uh, for some people you can outlast that and you can 
you if you have a good partner um you can actually probably catch up maybe uh, i don't know what the right way to phrase it is but maybe your mentality catches up and you go okay cool like i'm in it with this person for others of us we realize we're with the wrong person and yeah. some of our choices led to kind of the wrong place so that's when you have to make the tough choice to leave or to stay mm-hmm. um and I chose to leave, and I think ultimately it was the right decision for me. Um, very, very hard because I was worried, again, about what people think, yeah. um, especially because it all, it happened only a year and a half after mm-hmm. the wedding. And um, so I was th- like, what are people going to think? You know, do I return gifts? Well, you know, like, what's oh, the wow. threshold? You know, there were all these, like, questions in my mind. Like, what's my family going to think? Mm-hmm. You know, they just paid for this amazing wedding, and, like, am I letting them down? And I ultimately was thinking way too much about that and not enough about, like, am I happy? And that was one of the first decisions I made in my life, I feel like, that was just all about me and my own, like, safety and well-being and happiness and longevity. Yeah. So I'm proud of it, ultimately, as weird as that might sound. But it was because I finally did something for myself. Totally. And it's so funny because, like, when I think about things that I don't feel good about, decisions I've made in my past or even currently, it's always when I'm pointing outward to see if other things or other people are okay with it before I'm okay with it. And when I just say, you know what, I'm not good with this, and I say no, I'm happier in the long run. And what I thought was going to be an uncomfortable decision or was going to be like this huge problem is actually cool with people. Absolutely. Um, When I started talking about it too is when I – people came out of the woodwork to say, oh, I've been married before too. And like, oh, my first marriage didn't end very well either, you know, or whatever. uh, Like when I started talking about it, yeah, then other people felt like they could open up to me about it. Mm -hmm. Strangely enough, I could tell the people I was closest to. It was weird actually with the people that I was not close to. And the example that comes to mind is my dental hygienist. (laughs) And the reason I bring this up is because, you know, I only see her twice a year. So it's like, how much changes in your life after six months? A lot actually can change. And so for a couple of visits after my divorce, she would ask me, how's married life? And I would be like, it's good. And I like couldn't talk to her about it. And it was so weird because she was one of those like nice people in your life, but you only see them a couple times a year. And I just couldn't bring myself to tell her that like this wedding I had showed her pictures of, you know, was now no more. And so that was really actually hard. And I think it was like two years, AKA four dental visits um, until I was able to actually say, you know what, Donna, like, I got to be honest with you. Um, It didn't work out very well. And we're actually getting a divorce. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, you know. And she had this very empathetic reaction. Turns out, I was so worried about her judging me. Uh, It turns out she's been married twice before. And um, she's with somebody for like 10, 15 years after that. Um, But she shared with me her story. Like once I opened up to her, she opened up to me. And so that's kind of a good lesson, too, especially in like women supporting women and women not judging other women. So my goal, especially with people's relationships, I try to be as least judgy as possible. Yeah. I mean, I have friends that have gotten engaged after six months of dating. I have friends that have been dating seven years and probably will never get engaged. Mm-hmm. I just let that be, yeah. right? 
I, I'm not going to judge somebody else's relationship because it's never what meets the eye. Sure. Well, and then the other piece is when people come to you with their relationship issues, you never, ever, ever, it doesn't matter how much you dislike the other person, you can never say anything about it because if there is any connection to that person, even if they are on a break, they will go back to that person to defend them and prove, try to prove you wrong. And you actually will slow down their their transition time and their growth because they're trying to defend that person. And you could potentially impact your friendship you too. So that's like, it's just no man's land. Don't go there. You know, I think it's perfectly fine to hear out your friends venting. I think it's fine to ask powerful questions. Yeah. Like, what do you think you want out of this? Open-ended or open ended kind of coaching yes. questions or just powerful <laughs> questions that are like trying to get at the root of what they want. Yeah. Your goal is not to make a judgment or to give them the right answer. Your goal is to find out to what makes them happy. Them. Yeah, don't shoot on them. <laughs> They're your friend. That's wrong. Um, so, yeah, just ask them things that, that show them you care and that get them thinking. Yeah. Because your goal is not to solve it for them. I think our one of our biggest pitfalls, and, and I see this in a lot of relationships too, like when somebody wants to just vent about their day or about their boss or about, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And then the other partner kind of instantly jumps in with, okay, well try this and then try that. And they, they go to problem solving mode. Yeah. Many of the time, that's not what the person's looking for. They just want you to listen. It never is. So take the weight off your shoulders to be this fixer and just be a listener. I mean, that's honestly the best way you can be a friend or even a partner to yeah. somebody. I did a meme a couple months ago that said unsolicited advice is like a steaming burning bag of dog shit that you leave on someone's door. Okay, I shouldn't have sipped my coffee when you were saying that. <laughs> That's so true and a uh, lovely visual. Thank yeah, you, Lauren. It's like I'm coming to your door. You think it's a gift, but it's not. It's, it's just not a gift. Big steaming bag of dog yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. But it, it smells it, bad. <laughs> but I think if if you are one of those people that is used to giving advice and people go to advice and you kind of are in that mentality, but the key is to wait until you're asked for it. Yeah. And also know that your way of doing it is not the way that everybody else should do it. Yeah, it's with it's done with good intent yes. often. I mean, sometimes it's our ego taking over going, I know best. But other times it's with good intent to say, you're telling me about a problem. I, I want to help you. Yeah. And our help is by like prescribing something new or making suggestions or um, lamenting the past or whatever. But instead, all they really need is like someone to listen and yeah. just like say, I hear you. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Acknowledge and validate. Yeah. Coaching 101. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's the thing is like we we are in this mentality of immediate gratification and immediate fix. And when we can't do it for other people, it's almost like we're failing. But actually just by showing up and hearing and listening to someone and just being present and not on your phone and not like not one upping and well, that this happened to me and this is so much worse. So you can be fine. Um it's not about you. Yeah, there's this great uh, video online. I, if you Google um, Brene Brown empathy, mm -hmm. I highly recommend this to the audience because this this video that Brene Brown basically talks about the difference between empathy and sympathy. Yep. Um, one of the things she mentions is that an empathetic response rarely begins with at least. Uh -huh. Right? So it's like, yeah, you know, um, I'm getting divorced. Yeah, well, at least you got married. Like, at least you've been married before. Some of us can't say that, right? That's not an empathetic response. Right. Or, like, my child is failing in school. Well, at least your other child is an A student. Yeah. That's not what an empathetic response sounds like. Um, just being with the person to go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah. That's empathy right there. Just being in the uncomfortable moment 
um, for as long as you can stay there with the person um, and just feel it with them. Yeah. What do you think about the phrase, I'm sorry you feel that way? I don't know. I think if used well, it can be fine. Um, it ju- I th- guess it's situational. But, like, if it's used as a faux apology, I don't like it. If it's used to connect with a person, I think it could be okay. So a faux apology would be like um, somebody said, you know, Lauren, what you said to me really offended me. And then you go, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, That's the faux apology like version. Shown, yeah. yeah, it's where it's like I put it back on you. Like, I'm sorry you took it that way, right? But if it's used like – you know, my grandfather passed away and, you know, I feel really guilty because the last conversation we had was a fight. Oh my God. I'm so sorry that you're feeling guilty. Like, let's talk about it. Right. You know, just empathizing with the feeling to connect with somebody. I think that phrase could be used in an okay way. You actually changed the phrasing. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cause actually as it was about to come out of my mouth, I'm like, yeah, it it sounds a little uncomfortable. It actually doesn't work in an empathetic way because it's not attaching to how you're actually feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I had to retrofit it a little bit. So, so maybe look at your intent. Like, why are you saying it? You know, are you apologizing to someone? Are you trying to push it back on them? If you really want to connect with somebody, maybe there's better things to say. Mm -hmm. Like you're feeling guilty. Like that's understandable. I mean, it sounds like you have some regret. Let's talk about it. You know, I don't know, something like that. You could actually connect to the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so phrased exactly how you s- had it. Maybe it's a no, no. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's more of like the generalization versus like actually listening and being present with what's happening and what they need. Right. Yeah. That's, that's really, and maybe it's kind of canned too. Like it is, it's one of those like trivial things of like, I'm sorry you feel that. Way. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I have a person in my life who's really not in my life anymore who used to do shit like that. And I was like, God, you're so fake. Like, like it was in even a sympathetic tone, but I'm like, do you even know what you're saying or what you're, what you're sorry for me feeling like yeah. is? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally probably loading up my own baggage on it, <laughs> but like I hear that, that one phrase and as soon as I hear it, like it's a major trigger for me and I'm like, so what are you sorry about? What are you sorry about? Um, yeah, maybe the apology part is is the is the weird part. Um, understanding how the person feels is a good thing, but it's like apologizing for the way the other person feels. Okay, maybe those two two don't go together. So maybe th- if that's maybe somebody's inclination, thinking about a better way to connect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you hear about you know empathy, and really, it's showing up where people are, and it has nothing to do with you. It's just being it's being present and seeing them and hearing them for the situation the position yeah in the video which is um narrated and um it has a cartoon that goes with it to make it kind of visual um she talks about maybe being in like a dark hole and like if you're down daring greatly um i think she's reading from daring greatly Yeah. yeah and she talks about being in um in a dark hole and empathy would be to climb down the ladder and yep. just hang out in the dark hole with the person for a f- couple minutes even or as long as it takes somebody with a more sympathetic or distanced response would be kind of looking down into the hole and going, Mm -hmm. sorry, you're down there, you know, sucks to be you. Um, at least you can climb out whenever you want, you know, maybe one of those kind of more surface level responses. And so I thought that was kind of an interesting visual too, like to be empathetic with somebody else or to understand what they've been through. It's just like, you don't have to have been through that exact thing, but you could climb down into the hole and just like listen to them for a minute. Even yeah. if it's dark, it's uncomfortable, it might be a little scary, but 
that's the way to actually connect with somebody. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is you brought up this dark hole analogy. And so in coaching training, they actually tell you to not get into the hole because it symbolizes getting into their story. So my, my thought is you can get into the hole as long as you have a hand on the ladder and a hand extending for them when they're ready to come up. I like that because yeah, Otherwise, we distance ourselves too much from it. Yep. And then, and with coaching, you know, it's a unique relationship as well. You want to have your boundaries. Maybe it's a little lighter of boundaries for friends, right? Or family. Um, so you might, you might be able to choose what your boundary is in terms of how many hands you have on the ladder. Uh, maybe you bring a flashlight down there to make sure it stays light. Yep. You know, all these other metaphors we could do. But bring like, a snack. Yeah, bring <laughs> a snack. <laughs> um, bring a candle. You know, whatever it is that are your boundaries, I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, but it just means that you're not putting so much distance between you mm-hmm. and the story or you and the person that you're basically hindering your ability to connect with that person. Yeah, well, and also know when your time is to leave because sometimes people just want to be down there in their story and you have to know what your boundaries are for the level of energy energy impact because if you're spending too much time in that hole the odds of you being dragged down there and and staying in there and then becoming that source for that person to just emotionally dump on becomes much greater oh yeah I definitely agree with that yeah so we could we could talk about dark holes for a long time (laughs) and maybe we need to change the name of this podcast but let's talk about some inspirational sure sure so what would you say is your superpower hmm um Maybe this, I previewed this in the last answer here. Um, I think I'm a connector. So I love meeting new people. I love hearing about what jazzes them up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love knowing what they need and then trying to help them find it. Uh, so just yesterday I had lunch with a former drummer from the perfectionists. Um, and he is back in DC. He had moved to Leesburg for a while. He's back in DC. Um, and he wants to join a band. Um, and so I was like, but he's not sure how to find local musicians. So I was like, here we go. So, um, I did go into problem solving mode, but this was cause he was looking for, for <laughs> he was some, asking for it. Yeah. He was looking for some advice. And so I was like, okay, you've got to try this jam session at gypsy Sally's. You've got to come to this open mic night. Um, what about, um, going to seven drum city and practicing, um, and then talk to this bassist that you might like. And so I just love kind of connecting dots for people mm-hmm. and, um, You know, interestingly, I don't take on the responsibility to solve their problem, but what I love to do is kind of be that first domino where it's like, take this domino and go push over some more dominoes. That's your job. Yeah. Your job is to actually go do it. Yeah. Um, And I'll make email introductions to people and stuff, but then it's their job to take the ball and run with it. Yeah. And so, um, but that's what I love doing is being that first domino of like giving ideas and prompts and resources and then... And so I don't know. See, I I think when I hear you talk about that, it sounds like you're actually giving them all of the dominoes, but you're giving it to them in a set for them to line up how they want to do it when they're ready. Exactly. It's your job to make your own plan Mm -hmm. and to take action Um, because everyone has to have ownership and initiative over their own destiny. It's like, I can't do that for you. I don't pretend to do it for you. Um, At the same time, I have cool ideas and I know cool people. So I would love to, you know, bring people into the fold that gives me energy to to think about how we can bring new cool people into the fold and um build the network yeah so um that would be my power i think being a connector and what's your kryptonite uh disrespect Mm. i or or um lack of inclusiveness 
Yeah, I think that is something that just gets my back up every time is like when people are not inclusive um, or they disrespect other people, whether groups of people or individuals, it's like we all have our own problems and flaws Mm -hmm. and I would just prefer to be inclusive. And so I get defensive, I think, if um, if I witness that happening. So if people box other people out or exclude other people on purpose or yeah and maybe unwarranted too mm-hmm. like if you know just by personal preference or something right like i think that that ends up getting my back up a little bit um and so th- i would say that's my kryptonite well, it's interesting because it's the exact opposite of connecting it's disconnecting yeah exactly right interesting i hate burning bridges um i would prefer to not ever have to do that now in my life, I've had to do it a couple times, but it's definitely not my preference. It's not my nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather leave doors open. Um, and I can get a little drafty, though. You can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or just cracked just a little bit. Or just unlocked. Unlocked. Rather than okay. barred and chained and whatever, right? The more you, like, close doors or burn bridges or whatever you want to say, um, I think it just invites negativity and, and grudge. Mm-hmm. Um, which is different than closure. I think you can have closure in relationships, mm-hmm. um, without having the burden of kind of carrying that around. Um, so yeah, I, I think inclusiveness is probably, um, a value of mine. Yeah, definitely. So we're almost at 2018. So imagine that we're a year from now, we're having another conversation. What have you accomplished? Oh, I've got a list of venues that I want to play. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to tee them up a little bit so we can play? Sure. Seats? Just in case they're listening. Give me a call. Um, uh, the bullpen rock and roll hotel. I want to go back to the black cat. Yeah. I'd love to play somewhere around here at the wharf, um, Pearl street or some of these other awesome venues that are popping up. Um, I want to do the rock and roll marathon again this year. That's always a blast here in DC. Um, yeah, so just kind of this short list of, of some great venues in D.C. that I'd love to play. Um, I hope I've, you know, maybe gotten a promotion at work. I think that would be kind of cool because that will show that I'm still making the balancing act work. Yep. Um, and um, in my day job, I'm also um, – Uh, I teach leadership programs, so I would love to have another leadership program under my belt, too. They're typically like six to nine months, Mm -hmm. so they're long-term engagements. So um, I'd love to have another successful program with like 20 or 30 people that I've helped. Very cool. You know, and in terms of resolutions, I don't like to make resolutions. Um, One thing to consider instead of a resolution or a set of resolutions is just a word of the year. Yep. My meditation teacher used to advocate for that. Um, Just having a word of the year. I do Um, one every month. Oh, nice. So this one is trust. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Um, The word I chose for 2017 uh, was kindness. Mm -hmm. And um, I think overall um, that that remained top of mind. I think I had a little dip of time where maybe I got caught in kind of a negative spiral Mm -hmm. and probably kindness was not on fleek. Um, but (laughs) I'm back at it for the, for the end of the year. And then I got to be pondering what I want to pick for my word. Do you have any options that you want to flush out? I think for 2018, I might pick tenacity. Tenacity. What does that mean to you? It means knowing what you want and going after it, not at the expense of anything, but with some darn hard work. 
All right. Um, so that's what tenacity means to me. You're spitting some fire. Yeah. Spit, yeah. spit some fire at that. Yeah. At whatever your goal is. Yeah. You know what's funny? A spit, the Spitfire name came out of a meditation like two, three years ago. And I dropped the name and I was like, I have to bring this back because it's just such a powerful symbol and everyone has it in them. Yeah, absolutely. So we just have to tap into it. So where does your fire come from? Um, yeah. That, oh, gosh. That's like deep. Yeah. This is the point of the podcast where we get deep. Um, where does it come from? I have always, I don't know. I've always been this way. So I don't know. Nature nurture debate. I think it's just my nature. I have a value towards achievement um, and just doing cool things and enjoying my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think our time is short and we have to make the most of it. So the drive just comes from wanting to maximize time um, to achieve as much as I can, but also to have as much fun as I can. Sometimes those are in conflict. Um, sometimes you have to to work instead of going out and having fun. Um, and sometimes you need to go have fun and stop working. Yeah. Um, and so the balance of those two, I think, excites me. Um, and always trying to keep those in, um, it, keep those integrated. Yeah. I won't even say balance well, because you got to integrate work and fun. Have you been looking at my Instagram? Cause it- um, yes, I have. I was like, <laughs> where did I get that idea? Because you, I did see your Instagram about work-life integration. Yeah. And I was like, boom, I loved that. So um, I totally agree. They're not separate, mutually exclusive right. items, you it's know, that you. Are on two sides of a scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yes, uh, copyright Lauren Lemonian, <laughs> <laughs> work-life integration. But I, I would just say for me, it's, it's achievement and fun integration. That's how I, that's like the visual I have in mind. Yeah. And, and just to kind of expand on that, this whole idea of balance, I think has a lot of judgment riddled in it of like, I need to take away from this in order to add to this. So the idea of integration is that you are all of these things and all of these things are important. So how do you make it work? in your life. Yeah. Agreed. And it's moving. It's a moving target. Um, and so that's why balance doesn't always work because, um, balance implies like a static state, Mm -hmm. but, um, this is not static. It's always moving and things are always changing, especially for those of us that fill our lives with a lot of activities and people and whatnot. Um, and so it's a dynamic, uh, state of being. Um, And so I like that. Yeah, so anti-stagnation. Good job to you for (laughs) teaching me that. Sweet. (laughs) It's been a good morning of lessons. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I think we are at a great starting point, but I would love to have you back on the show and hear about how all of your 2018, uh, not even bucket list, but like all of your intentions are coming and once yeah, you pick absolutely. that word of the day. And I just want to thank you for doing this. I mean, putting this type of art and conversation and dialogue out into the um, interwebs. Appreciate you, Lauren. Yeah, and maybe we need our own podcast. All right, sounds yeah, good. Awesome. All right, Ginny Hill, thank you so much. Thank and you. if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and go to spitfirepodcast.com. We're on Google Play and iTunes. And keep being awesome. If you'd like to spit some fire and be a guest on the Spitfire Podcast, visit www.spitfirepodcast.com and keep being awesome.